The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Channel. Would you be concerned if you discovered that what you believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ was corrupted, that what you believed did not have its foundation in the scripture, but rather what you believe found its way into the story of scripture from a source other than divine revelation? Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, the founder of the National Prayer Chapel. And this is Pilgrim's Progress. We need to find a way to be very clear about what we believe. It is vital that we separate by divine revelation truth from error. There is a false doctrine about sin that began in the Garden of Eden. It moved through the generations of human teaching in varying degrees of error. It moved through the heathen. It moved through Greek philosophers. It moved through the Gnostics that were written so powerfully against by the Apostle John. And then finally, this doctrine was taught, was picked up by false teaching Christians in John Calvin's teaching and in Martin Luther's teaching. Now let's walk back, and I want to give you a very brief overview of this doctrine of destruction. And then we're going to go to the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to begin going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, because it is the one book in the Bible that takes the teaching about Jesus Christ as our high priest, as the atoning sacrifice. It gets right to the heart of the gospel. Now, very seldom will you hear preachers teach on any part of the book of Hebrews except the 11th chapter. Why is that? Because Hebrews contradicts the mixed teaching that is done in America today. The church today in America has become big business. It has become people-pleasing. It has become a center of social life, and entertainment, but it has utterly lost its ability to influence the culture with righteousness, with holiness. There is a form of godliness in America today, but there's no power in it. We need to go back and trace the history of this wickedness that has arisen in America, trace its source 
and then go back together to the book of Hebrews and dispassionately, carefully walk through the actual scriptures and say, what is the divine revelation of God? And how would he have us walk step by step and day by day? In the Garden of Eden, the devil, the serpent, took a position that was in direct opposition to the Word of God. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, the devil said to Eve, If you eat of this fruit, you shall not surely die. Genesis 3, 4. But, in Genesis 2.17, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So now we have the devil saying, You will not die if you eat of this tree. But God comes and he says, If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Now, please understand, this is not rocket science. There is 100% mortality rate. All of us know that the day will come when either sickness or accident or old age will finally take us. We refer to it as the grim reaper. And all of us, with the exception of Enoch, and Elijah are destined to die. Why? The Bible gives the answer in divine revelation as sin. And sin is defined in 1 John and in a number of places, sin is defined as rebellion against God. In other words, God's word is proven true. If we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which all of us have done, Romans, the first chapter, all of us have partaken of this tree of rebellion against the Most High. And all of us are destined to die. So, by our own experience by our own testimony, we know that Satan was lying when he said, ye shall not surely die. And we know that the Lord God of heaven was absolutely correct when he said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it for the day that thou eatest. Therefore, thou shalt surely die. We know now beyond any question that in fact, if we eat of that tree, we will surely die. In Genesis, the third chapter, verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. 
Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities, that is, your rebellion, your sin, has separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. So sin separates us from God, and sin is choosing to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and to say, we choose our own way. We will not be subject to the Lord God of heaven. I spoke with a man this last week who said, oh yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that Jesus is the is the be-all. I don't believe that Jesus is the one whom he claims he is. He was a good man, and I'll follow him because I want to live by good principles. Well, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the Lord said, if you eat of that tree, you will die. For eternity you will die. Jeremiah 31, verse 30 but everyone shall die for his own sin. So we are not going to die because of Adam's sin. We die because of our own sin, our own rebellion, our own choosing to go to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So we have laid out very clearly in the Old Testament that sin brings death always. And all men die. We come to the New Testament, Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Or we come to Romans 5:12, sin entered into the world and death by sin, harmatia, sin, deliberate, voluntary rebellion against the word of God is sin. Sin is not immaturity. Sin is not infirmity. As taught correctly by John Wesley, sin is rebellion against the Most High. It's what I choose to do out of my own flesh in my rebellion against the living God of heaven. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So when you choose to walk in your sin, you will die. That's what the scriptures say. Romans 7.9 Sin revived, 
and I died. James 1.15 And sin, when it finished, brings forth death. James 5.19 and 20 My brethren, if any of you do err away from, or you leave, apo in the Greek, the truth, and one convert him, let him know the one turning the sinner out of, or ek, out of, the air of his way, will save a soul. Out of, again it's ek, out of his death. So there is no such thing as once saved, always saved, and if you hear a preacher teaching once saved, always saved, you will know that he is not teaching the scripture. He is twisting it to meet his own cultural demands out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Any preacher who says that God has unconditional love, or you are saved once and forever, and God will never let his children go, that man is teaching or that woman is teaching something that is not found in the scriptures. And we are at a time when we must be very discerning between right and wrong because our very lives hang on the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And we must be certain that what we believe is not based on some sentimental teaching. And if you are in a church that teaches once saved, always saved, you need to flee for your life from that place. If you're in a church where they teach unconditional love, you are in a place that teaches lies, and you need to flee from that place because it is a place of deception and death. I don't care how charismatic the pastor is, or what a wonderful story he shares, or how he tells wonderful jokes, or how he's so hip, how he's so cool, how he knows how to hang with the world and hang with Jesus. He teaches lies, and you need to run. Now let's take it a step further. First John 3, that's the epistle of John. First John, the third chapter, verse 6. Everyone that sins has not seen him, that is, has not seen Jesus, neither knows him, does not know Jesus. Note, this is not a statement of the impossibility of sin once saved, 1 John 2, 1. But it is a very clear statement that if a person is sinning against Jesus, they don't know him. To know in the Greek means to be intimate with. So if a person is walking in sin and they're saying, I can't help myself, I sin every day, that person does not know the person of Jesus Christ. They may be a great theologian. They may have much learning. They may be an intellectual giant, 
They may be very charismatic. They may have a great following. But they are leading those following them to hell, not to Jesus Christ, because they don't know Jesus. They're not intimate with Jesus. They don't know the teaching of Jesus. That's what First John 3, verse 6 teaches. First John 3, verse 8, He that does sin is of the devil. He that does sin is of the devil. So if a person says to me, I'm a Christian, but I still walk all the time in sin, and I can't help myself, I have no victory over sin, it's because you're not born again. You're walking in accord with the powers of darkness. Now let's go back in history. And let's ask some of the early church fathers what they believed. And I want to just share with you this whole issue of the sinning Christian as it is taught in our culture today is a very recent origin. Let's go back to Ignatius. He was about 115 years after Jesus. He said this, The tree is known by its fruits, so that they who profess to be of Christ shall be seen by their deeds. For the deed is not in present profession, but is shown by the power of faith. If a man continue to the end. Now let's see what the shepherd of Hermas had to say. He was somewhere around A.D. 148. He said to me, You have heard correctly, for that, is, for that is so. For he who has received remission of sin ought never to sin again, but to live in purity. So as I'm reading these, it's very clear that the early church fathers did not believe in sinning Christians. Polycarp, A.D. 150, he said, For if one be in this company, he has fulfilled the command of righteousness. For he who has love is far from all sin. Or Justin Martyr, A.D. 155. To acknowledge this Christ, to be washed in the fountain spoken of by Isaiah for the remission of sins, henceforth is to live without sin, or let me share another. Irenaeus, about 185 A.D., he said, And through obedience, doing away with disobedience completely, for he bound the strong man, and set free the weak, and endowed his own handiwork with salvation, 
by destroying sin. By destroying sin. Katerina, by destroying sin. This was the belief of the early church fathers. Note again the devil's position. Ye shall not surely die. Sin, in other words, does not bring death. So where did this begin to leak from into the Christian church? The Greek philosopher Plato said this, But having become good, to remain in a good state and be good is not possible and is not granted to man. God only has this blessing, but man cannot help being bad when the force of circumstances overpowers him. In other words, Plato, the Greek philosopher, taught that you cannot live above your sin. There was a Greek Stoic philosopher, Epicurus. He said, how then is it possible to be sinless? It is impossible, but this is possible to strive not to sin. In other words, again, you cannot live above sin. You can only struggle not to live in sin. Notice that the doctrine changes on this issue of sin in Christendom, and it continues even to our time. But recognize, recognize the source. The Greek philosophers, without any divine revelation, not having any understanding of the blood of Jesus Christ, having no understanding of the new covenant, speaking in direct opposition to the teaching of Scripture. And now you must take a side. Either you're going to believe the devil that sin does not bring to death, or you're going to believe the Word of God. You're either going to believe our forefathers in the faith, Ignatius, Hermas, Polycarp, Justin, Martyr, Irenaeus. You're either going to believe the testimony of Scripture and the early church fathers, or you're going to believe the Greek philosophers who are teaching the position of the devil. But now I want to show you the cunning work of the devil in bringing this into the Christian church. There was the practice of Gnosticism, the, the hidden secret information, the hidden secret knowledge. Now they taught 
that you cannot in any measure suffer hurt or loss in the spiritual substance of your being by anything done in the material part of your being. Now, this is identified by Arrhenius and spoken very firmly against by Uranius. Remember again what he said, and through obedience doing away with disobedience completely, for he bound the strong man and set free the weak and endowed his own handiwork with salvation by Katerina, destroying sin. And so he spoke against the Gnostics, following the course of the Apostle John in 1 John, the entire book. It is written in opposition to the Gnostics. The Gnostics bring sin and righteousness together in the Christian life, claiming no harm can come to the Christian in his spirit by what he does in the flesh. In other words, once saved, always saved. It is a Gnostic teaching. It is not a teaching of Scripture. Now, I recognize that some of you have been taught this lie, but it does not help to deny the truth that is taught in the Scripture. We have the revelation of God and all teaching must measure itself against the revelation of Scripture because Scripture is the final authority of our doctrinal beliefs. Now, the Gnostics also taught that if you take a piece of gold, a gold coin, and you put it in the sewer, the gold coin is not in any manner affected. There is no effect on the gold coin. It is still pure gold. And you lift it out of the sewer and you wash it and it retains its brilliance. And the Gnostics taught that the human person could be submerged in every kind of filthy thing. Sexual uncleanness, lying, cheating, murdering. But it would have no impact on the pure gold of their spirit. They taught that the outward body was wicked and could never be reclaimed that you could not live in righteousness, but that you didn't need to live in righteousness. Now, Charles Brown, the scholar, wrote the Apostolic Church. I'm going to read to you from page 73. The doctrine that most Christians sinned, came in like a flood. H. Windish maintained that it was Origen, the heretic, who legitimized sinfulness in Christendom. 
So sin and Christianity were brought together by the Gnostics, and it has continued into our time. Tertullian, 160 A.D., says, There are some sins of daily committal to which we are liable. For who will be free from using manual violence or else carelessly speaking evil or else rashly swearing or else lying, bashfulness or the necessity of sinning? This is in the Antinesian Fathers, Volume 4, Chapter 14, page 97. In other words, Tertullian picked up in opposition to Polycarp and Justin Martyr and Arrhenius and Hermas and Ignatius. He picked up the lying teaching out of Gnosticism. And you recognize that there was a great deal of effort in these early years to somehow make peace with paganism and to bring it, if possible, into the Christian church as Christmas was brought into the, Christ, into the Christian church. Easter, Ishtar, the goddess of fertility, was brought into the Christian church at the appropriate time for the pagans in order to bring together the teachings of the church with the teachings of paganism. Now, Augustine is the man of great intellect. He is said to be the founder of the Roman Catholic Church. Many claim that the five points of doctrine, the tulip, was formulated implicitly by Augustine. Calvin, John Calvin, the Reformation man from Geneva, claimed he could write his confession of faith out of Augustine's writing. If you want to look this up, just Google Augustine and John Calvin, and you'll quickly see the relationship. John Calvin taught an extreme form, an extreme form of righteousness and sin, teaching that a man could not stop sinning, that he was always going to be a sinner. Martin Luther famous saying, sin as you like, provided you believe. Catholic Encyclopedia, Volume 3, page 201. Also he taught, at once righteous and a sinner. If you're in a Lutheran church, flee. If you're in a Reformed church, flee for your life. 
If you're in many Baptist churches, you need to flee for your life. Many independent churches teach this lying doctrine that Martin Luther was teaching. Sin as you like, provide you believe. At once righteous and a sinner, once saved, always saved. John Calvin, <clears throat> he said, We maintain, therefore, that sin always exists in the saints till they are divested of the mortal body. That's the Institutes 3.3.10. We maintain, therefore, that sin always exists in the saints till they are divested of their mortal body. Now, one of the reasons this fits so well is because our experience for most Christians today is that they have never been born again. They are sentimental religionists but have never been willing to face the depth, the wickedness of their own soul. And so the church is filled with half-converted people who have no profound impact on the culture. And so sin has increased in our culture till every wicked thing flows. And then you have a, a dear man that I do not know personally but love much of his work with the Samaritan purse and other kinds of of goodness, Franklin Graham, who somehow is becoming the voice for the Christian church. Believes in once saved, always saved. And now he's crying out against sin, but his very own teaching and Billy Graham's very own teaching in essence teaches the Gnostic lie. And other great Reformed teachers have taught this lie. You can't have it both ways. Either the power of the blood of Jesus removes our sin, or it does not remove our sin. And the Gnostic belief then is acceptable because it gives us a way to claim that we are Christians and a way to say we are saved without having to deal with the depth of the sin and we then never have to be crucified with Christ. We then never have to turn away from our darkness. Instead, we can have it both ways. John Calvin but we maintain, according to the doctrine of the Scripture, the only standard of righteousness in sin, that the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sinneth it shall die, but that the, <clears throat> pardon me, the sins of believers are venal, not causing death of the soul. This is Gnosticism 101. John Calvin, I don't believe, was even a Christian. 
I don't believe he was even a Christian, as evidenced by his life, putting to death, burning at the stake, people he disagreed with, ruling as a dictator over Geneva. His actions tell me that he was not a Christian. And his teaching, and I have read the Institutes. I'm not ignorant of what John Calvin taught. I have read them. And he taught a theology that you could not separate sanctification from justification. But he wanted to insist that you could never leave your sin. But the word justification means to be made holy, to be made righteous. But he denies that a man can be made righteous and claims that a man must continue to walk in his sin. Now, let me give another one for you. This is the Westminster Confession of Faith. I have a family member who said boldly to me, Pastor, do you subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith? And when I answered, absolutely not, it is a lie and it is leading people to hell, he utterly rejected me, repudiated me, based on the foolish teaching of his Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a confession of a lie. Let me share with you. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly preserve therein to the end, persevere therein to the end, and be eternally saved. Nevertheless, they may through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the pelerancy uh, of the corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, fall into grievous sin. They are accepted, effectually called, and cannot finally fall away from the state of grace so they can fall into every grievous sin and continue in it. But they have eternal security. Once saved, always saved. But I want to say to you, this is a false security. It is no security at all. David Wilkerson, Times Square Church and the founder of Teen Challenge was my pastor. And I was meeting with him on one occasion for prayer and study together in his office. And I said to him, Do you believe in eternal security? He got a wry smile on his face. He said, I believe in the eternal security of the eternally faithful. There is an eternal security for us, but that, in, that eternal security rests in eternal faithfulness to Jesus. 
And if you choose to walk in sin, you are not eternally secure. Impossible. The wages of sin is death. Now, modern teachers like Charles Hodge or Charles Stanley or I could name many others are totally bought in to Gnosticism. Charles Hodge, this scholar, he says on Katerina, the Greek word meaning to destroy, he says it does not mean that he destroyed sin, but that he punished sin. Denial that sin is destroyed in the life of the believers. He does not believe that sin is destroyed in the life of the believer. He believes that you must continue to walk in sin until you die, and that death somehow with John Calvin is your Savior, and that sin will not cause you to lose your salvation. These are lies cleverly put together that flowed out of the Garden of Eden and the devil's word, you shall not surely die. Dr. Lewis Sperry Chaffee through the present priestly advocacy of Christ in heaven, there is absolute safety and security for the father's child even while he is sinning. Even while he is sinning. Or Michael S. Horton. When a person trusts Christ, the very moment he or she is clothed in his perfect holiness so that even though the believer is still sinful, he or she is judged by God as blameless. The doctrine that sin does not bring death began in Eden and among the Greek philosophers. Sin could not be avoided in this life. Then the Gnostics claimed that sin did not cause us to lose our salvation, and then Calvinism comes along and he takes all three of these positions. One, sin does not bring death. That was the lie of the devil in Eden. Two, that you cannot be free from sin while in the body. That's the air of the Greek philosophies, apart from divine revelation. And three, that sin and salvation can exist in the same life at the same time, this is the position of the Gnostics. So the Calvinists are in league with hell on this issue. They agree with the devil. They agree with the Greek philosophers with no divine revelation. And they agree with the Gnostics in total opposition to the teaching of Scripture, particularly of the epistle of 1 John but also many others, including the book of Hebrews. So, these modern teachers of the lie are convincing more and more people 
to know less and less about true Christianity, which teaches that a man is totally changed into a new creature in the likeness of Jesus, that he is totally made righteous, that sin no longer has dominion over him. Why would a man fight for the right to sin when the Scripture is so clear that sin is rebellion against God and that if a man sins, he will go to hell? And these teachers are basically unopposed if you look just at this station I'm speaking on, Wava, if you go to the FM side or the AM side, I'm the only pastor on the AM or FM side that stands in direct opposition to the sinning Christian and teaches a gospel from the Word of God, the whole Word of God, that says that a man can be made righteous and live without sin. That breaks my heart. And it explains why the power of the gospel has been utterly prostituted, broken down, and removed from the modern Christian church in America. Now, as I promised, this is an introduction to the book of Hebrews. God has one final word in the book of Hebrews and in the New Testament. And that final word of God is Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, is the final word of God to the human race. And if we destroy the testimony of that one final word from the living God of heaven, how can we be saved? There is salvation only through Jesus Christ. And if we believe that we can be sinning Christians, we have destroyed the testimony of the life, of the death, and of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you make excuses for your sin rather than weeping before God and staying there until the power of the blood of Jesus comes and absolutely cleanses you, you have destroyed the final word that God will speak for your salvation. And so I come to you on Pilgrim's Progress to lift up that final word of God to the human race, Jesus the Christ. And the Bible claims that this final word of God testified that it was only through his atoning blood that a man could be made righteous and enter into the kingdom above. You cannot be made righteous by the Gnostic gospel. You cannot be made righteous by the teaching of John Calvin or Martin Luther 
or other Reformed teachers. You cannot be made righteous by Charles Stanley's Solomon-like wisdom. You cannot be made righteous by the modern preachers of our day who deny the power of the blood of Jesus to restore you now in the present to the likeness of the final word of God, Jesus Christ. I'm trying to be very careful not to rant, not to emotionalize this issue, but to lay it out in an intellectual framework that you might have time now to search the scriptures, to pray, and to seek after the full blessing of Jesus Christ, which is salvation, which is freedom from all sin, which is being made righteous by his powerful blood. If I were to come and ask you the question, Two minutes, Pastor. are you still walking in sin? If I came and asked you the question, as I ask many people, and almost without fail, every Christian I ask this question says, oh, yes, Pastor, I'm still walking in sin. Then are you a Christian? Or are you a Gnostic? Are you a Calvinist? Are you a Lutheran? Are you a denomination or a, a free thinker that has somehow cobbled together your own understanding and your own belief while having denied the plain teaching of Scripture that a man cannot continually sin and walk in Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not speaking here about immaturity. I'm not speaking here about infirmity. Harmatia means to miss the mark. So I'm out on the golf course, which I don't go to, but if I'm out on the golf course and I don't get a hole in one or I don't meet par, does that mean I'm a sinner? No, it means I'm infirm. I don't have the physical ability to get that little ball to roll into that one hole in the appropriate number of strokes. I'm, I'm clumsy. I'm not coordinated. Sin is not infirmity. Sin is not immaturity. Sin is deliberately choosing in our hearts to rebel against the Most High. This is not my definition. <coughs> Pardon me. This is John Wesley's definition. He was the one who essentially came through Armenianism and then Wesleyanism, restoring to us these precious truths I'm addressing today. And by the way, the Methodist Church has totally renounced the teachings of John Wesley. They should likewise change the name of their churches because Methodist churches today are no longer Methodist. They have renounced the teaching of John Wesley. 
They no longer believe that a man can walk without sin before God. I'm very troubled by this. But we're going to begin tomorrow after this introduction to chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. This is what it says. Long ago, God, having spoken to the fathers in many ways and various ways by the prophets, in the last of these days spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the last word. And he will have the last word over the life of a sinning Christian. These are serious issues. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Thank you for joining me today. I pray that this word has been helpful to you, and I pray that you will search the scriptures to see that what I have said is true. Read the epistle of 1 John. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.